0: Hello everybody! Welcome to the Bio Bros podcast. First episode. We're here. Uh, first episode, kind of new to it. Let's give everybody introduction. Mm-hmm. You want to start us off? Yeah, I. My name is UV.
1: I right, real name is Yuvaraj, but I go by that. Keep it the science, you know, UV radiation. Yeah. <laughs> Second year student, you know, studying psychology, intention to do a lot of school. Love it.
0: Yeah, yeah. How about you, my friend? Uh, Justin real name is Justin, mm-hmm. uh, second year, University of Alberta, science, my goal in life, keep doing science, that's what we're here to do today. That's right. And uh, why are we doing this podcast? I would say to explore science and its capabilities.
1: Agreed. What other people can do with science. Share knowledge. Share knowledge of what they can expect in the future. Yeah. Some of the more recent research that we're doing, which aside from peer-reviewed articles and journals and databases, they're not really out there. Agreed. You know, I would, I would definitely say
0: just learn more. Learn more and, and like encourage others it. to learn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's why the, the audience, we're trying to give them some knowledge that we're learning as yeah. well. It was me. Like, this is true, truly, truth be told. By me exploring recent knowledge, I'm only learning it more, right? Exactly. So it's only beneficial. Right? Yup. Uh, so how's podcasts going to go? We're going to try and record a podcast every week. Usually start off with some great studies, some new things, some groundbreaking research. And uh, eventually get to a point where maybe we can get some special guests coming, get people who are more experienced than us, more knowledgeable than us, and uh, basically break it down for us and the viewers at home for things that we might not know. Um... So should we just get straight into it? Let's get to it. Alright, so the first new study we've got is from the University of Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And the researchers there, they've developed a two-legged biohybrid robot, which combined biological and mechanical elements, which means that the robot utilized lab-grown skeletal muscle tissues, and it was attached to a silicone rubber skeleton. When they stimulated it with electricity, the muscle contracted, and it lifted the leg and created a walking motion. When they alternated stimulation between the left and right leg, the robot could walk at a speed of 5.4 millimeters per minute, which is a start, Mm -hmm. but it was able to make fine-tuned turns. The researchers aim to integrate electrodes into the robot for more efficient movement and plan to enhance the robot with joints and thicker muscle tissues for sophisticated motions. They also intend to develop a nutrient supply system to sustain living tissues for operation in the air. And the work basically makes progress in the field of biohybrid robots, which combines biology and mechanics for more lifelike and versatile robotic movements. What are your thoughts on this study so far? I think it's a start. Yeah, that's what for I sure. said. I think it's a start of a lot of
1: things to come, a lot of things that our research and our funding will be directed towards. Yeah. Especially in the case of me, I'm medically oriented, so I view this as a great way for people who have disability. For sure. You know, people 100%. who are in wheelchairs to become mobile. To bridge the gap between disability and healthy, although there's definitely
0: other perspectives to look at it, and to make things more equitable. I feel like it's, it's, like you said, it's it's a step, but it can be used in so many different ways. Like Mm -hmm. one of the things I'm thinking about right now, we got the AI boom going on. So when does that gap between ai and human stop this is just an example where you can combine robots with human things whether it's tissue who knows what comes next but it's just overall it's it's leading up to something that you know we 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 have no idea we don't know the capabilities you know everybody's been like ai is it something good is it something bad so we'll see what how humans first we found out how they interact and now we're figuring out how we can use human stuff and use ai stuff use robots how what we're fully capable of in the future. That's right. That's right. right. Even <laughs> touching back on the point, is it good or is it bad? Truly, I think it's a matter
1: of circumstance yeah. and how it's used and how it's regulated. Because everyone knows, ChatGPT's inception really just scared Sorry, universities. The yeah. You know, they're seeing course outlines, academic integrity is being violated. Sure. There's people who are scared of. We're seeing AI detection tools. Yeah. So, I think the way that we At least in a way that's beneficial to humanity, is to go about it, understanding that it's here and it's here to stay, and how can we utilize this tool because that's what it is, in a way that's constructive because it can also
0: be very deconstructive, right? Yeah, I agree. And another thing you were talking about, disabled and like how we can use this in that manner. For example, a lot of the prosthetics we see right now, they're not exactly human. Like Mm -hmm. they'll be like just metal rods, something like that. So this could like really make it hard to tell what is a prosthetic and what is not so a lot of the unseen discrimination that goes on maybe when somebody disabled is trying to go get a job or they're trying to uh, interact with people that discrimination might go away and more than that it's just it's just helpful more for people who are who are looking to have a huge who clearly had a huge change in their life yeah. in the way they move and everything like that but it just it just helps everybody out by making everybody human Really. I agree. It, it just helps people out not to be discriminated against, nothing like that. It's just uh, a movement that really, this study can be used in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Very excited to see where it can go in the future. Yeah. Especially like,
1: not just the medical context, but you know, the things where it can be used as just AI, just machine learning. Yeah.
0: Doing things for us in everyday life, you know. I think one of the things, and this is purely just Things like I've thought of as a kid, but I think you remember um, things like Iron Man, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. So if we, if we're able to push the and lessen the gap between robots and humans, and maybe I don't know, I've heard of uh, like th- how useful this could be, maybe in like military as well, yes. where like robots aren't just metal and rods, and maybe they're integrated with humans. Maybe a military workforce could be just humans and robots together in a way that's so seamless that we don't even notice. So I feel like there's just a lot of ways this study could be used. A lot used. of ways it can be used, yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, let me carry on to the next study. So this is from Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory. And they've discovered that T cells, which is a type of white blood cells, they can be reprogrammed to combat aging by targeting senescent cells, mm-hmm. which seize replication as we age. And these senescent cells can contribute to harmful inflammation and various age-related diseases. These researchers genetically modified CAR, which is chimeric antigen receptor, on T cells to eliminate senescent cells in mice, which resulted in pro- improved health without causing tissue damage or toxicity. The study found that a single dose of CAR T cells at a young age have long-lasting effects, which protected against conditions like obesity and diabetes. This research really suggested that CAR T cells could offer potential treatment for aging-related health issues, moving closer to the concept of a fountain of youth. Yeah, sounds like a fan of youth, for it sure. It does, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'll start us off with this. I think one of the most things that you really don't look forward to in life, a universal experience, is aging. You know, everybody tries to fight against it, whether it's the use of, like, cosmetic products, or whether it's just things that people can't control. For example, um, getting sick happens more common when you get older. It's just, yeah. everything is related to aging once you get older you're more susceptible to like falling and hurting yourself, and and more diseases come really easily to you. So I feel like the way that, if, if what they're saying works on humans as well, it could really help in terms of extending humans' lifespan and making them less really vulnerable to things that come on as life goes on. Mm-hmm. I think you can change the human experience
1: as we know it. Yeah. You know, I was listening to Tony Robbins just the other day, and he, sp- he spoke about his use of nmn which is a very similar treatment of anti-aging he must be what 64 now and he talks about how chronologically he's 64 but maybe 63 but biologically he feels like he's 40 yeah which is absolutely insane if we're talking about human function a lot of times you see people especially who are blue collar workers for example, their bodies have been through and tear and it's taking a toll on them in an early age where they have terrible joints, you know, maybe they're not getting nutrition, right? But just seeing how this focus and this culture shift even towards, you know, focusing on your health, realizing the effect it can have on your not just aging, but your energy, which is I would say, more important than your age. You know? yeah like, like for example Feeling like you're 20 years old for the rest of your life is a dream come true for athletes who
0: are nearing 40 right i was just about to say that and i was about to give the example of lebron james you see his almost 40 gray hairs coming out but he's still like one of the fastest seems like he's 20. Mm-hmm. so i feel like maybe this could be used in ways just outside of just combating aging mm-hmm. like you could see your favorite athletes play until they're 50 60 something like that if it works out and uh another thing i think is just um to touch back on what you were saying like, uh, aging, it's just, it just comes to everybody, right? Yeah. But I know a lot of normal people, and a lot of, especially celebrities as well. Like, maybe, I don't know about you, but I go to my mom's room, and I see all these aging creams and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So it's just, like, it's not it's not something that, you know, some people see. It's universal, pretty much. So you would see maybe more natural, medicine-based treatments like this coming up in the future, where you wouldn't have to use Things that could have adverse effects on us, right? Yeah. It's just yeah. Asian comes to everybody. So how can we really combat that in a in a beneficial way to society? Yeah, yeah. And I,
1: I, I really like what you emphasized there in, in a way that's not adverse to our health. Yeah. Because sometimes you see products that they're good now, but a couple couple of decades ago when they were, sorry, I'll rephrase that. They're good a couple of decades ago, but now you see the car- carcinogenic cigarettes, yeah. yes, tobacco stuff like yeah. that. There were times when. They, It's crazy to reflect on this now that they were considered healthy for you. Yeah. Right? And even, like how you mentioned cigarettes and tobacco, we see a relatively new technology, e-cigarettes, where the long-term effects aren't really known. I would argue that it's pretty clear that your lungs, your cilia is not supposed to be in close contact with smoke. I feel like no smoking in general
0: is just just an unwritten rule, like, Whether we don't know the results of this later on, if you know that everything that smoking is just harmful, whether it's whichever form it's in. So taking the risk to do that, it's just a lot of things we don't know. So Yeah, a lot of unknown, a lot of things that our funding
1: goes towards, you know, to to understand it more. One thing that I have heard, however, even with cigarettes and the electronic form vaping, otherwise known as vaping, is that it does increase your aging. Which is very interesting to touch right. back on this topic is that, yeah. how, how can a smoker, a chronic smoker, use manipulation of their cells to completely be fine and still have the effects of, you know, nicotine. That's what it is.
0: Yeah. Very I mean, interesting. You can see where the study heads. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the next study, it was co-led by researchers from Mass Eye and Ear. And it demonstrated the effectiveness of gene therapy in -hmm. restoring hearing function for children with hereditary deafness caused by mutations in the OTOF gene, which is the Otoferlin gene, also known as DFNB9. And they had a trial which involved six children in Shanghai, and an adeno-associated virus was used to introduce a version of the human OTOF gene into the inner ears of the parents, I mean, uh, into the inner ears of the patients, excuse me. Through a special surgical procedure, and after 26 weeks, five children showed significant hearing recovery, reduced auditory thresholds, improved speech perception, and a restored ability for normal conversation. The study was published in the Lancet, and it marks the first human clinical trial for gene therapy in treating this specific form of autosomal recessive deafness, and the success of the trial suggests the potential of gene therapies in hereditary deafness, and also opens possibilities for treating other forms of genetic hearing loss. What are your thoughts on that? It sounds like we're really
1: manipulating what humans are. Yeah. Really messing with biology and I know that has a bit of a negative connotation with of saying messing with biology. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't mess with,
0: with Mother Nature, really. No. You know, even the existence and our... But to combat yeah. that, we get mutations like 24-7 we every do. day. We don't even notice. We do. Right? That's right. Is this just as bad as a mutation?
1: I think it's separate. I th- yeah. I want to say it's separate because a mutation would be something that's... It's natural, is what you're trying to say, maybe? You could, yeah, you could say okay. natural. I'll say it's a result of your behavior or perhaps a result mm-hmm. of your even your own DNA, because you yep. do see that, yep. especially with people who are cognitively impaired or even physically impaired. But this is more so of like with the intention of having a good effect, which was clearly shown with the hearing and it was working. So I think it's something that's beneficial, but we just need to keep exploring and just keep proving it's beneficial, while being very careful of the risks, which I'm sure the researchers have
0: sure. done their due diligence. Yeah, it seems like it's ethically approved. Everything, of course. Yeah. 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 Uh, but, you know, like you've been saying to me, one thing is like, is it pushing the line between the eugenics? where it's like uh, picking mm. certain traits of the population yeah. and then keeping those maybe. Um, I remember it was even a thing happening in Alberta a couple of decades ago, and they were just getting rid of people they didn't deem fit for future generations. Is it pushing the line of that, where um, things that really would make a person, obviously in this case, it's trying to help people, but could it get to a point where maybe we're, we're pushing that line? And uh, another thing I wanted to point out was one thing that interested me was that they used a virus for it. Mm. And that was uh, interesting to me because a virus, it's not really... It's been, like, centuries of us studying it. We still don't know, is a virus uh, life? Is it abiotic? And that's just something cool. Um, Otherwise, like, the story... uh, I feel like gene therapy is just overall really weird subject to really touch upon it's like things with crispr and stuff like that so it's like how can we use this to humans benefit because eventually i feel like the end goal of every clinical trial every study is just how can this be expanded to the broader use of humans in general well even like a universal vow of physician
1: do no harm yeah you know and at least reduce harm to Mm -hmm. as minimal as possible so i think it's one of those things where maybe we do have to push that line. Yeah, we can only push that line, we can understand more, you know, and just kind of bring a, digress a bit with a different topic, pushing that line with going to space. You know, we, we have started space exploration, albeit maybe not even 1% of what well, we can know, yeah. but there were many failures. But I would say those failures are necessary, as we could see here, obviously this is a great success. Yeah. really happy for those children and the parents of those children and the researchers mm-hmm to have this change those kids life change your life yeah. completely. but i think
0: it's important that we keep pushing that line man. i agree you know? and um, you know it was it's obviously a very rare disease a recessive disease so that's like one of the rarest diseases you get when usually i know somebody uh in my you know community that has it so if it's like it really tears the whole family down mm-hmm. so if something like this can get introduced we can really help those people, and and just really um, take away the, the things that um, really hurt people and their families. You know, these recessive diseases—they just keep going on for generations, unless really um, it's really hard to get rid of them. So if something like this can just you know fix it, then maybe maybe we are going on the right path with this. It even sounds like a very benevolent version of
1: eugenics. Yeah. where you're taking the people who are perhaps genetically at a disadvantage yeah. and again that's a very broad term we don't even yeah. know what that means genetically <laughs> at an advantage or disadvantage because mm-hmm. there's so little that we do know Yeah. because going back to the topic is helping these people who have maybe physical impairments cognitive yeah. impairments and yeah. helping them rather than eliminating them which exactly. is definitely a form of discrimination right? yeah. Yeah. and I, f- I feel like we can make even make the argument for equitable treatment rather than discriminating at someone. I want to give you the means. I want to give someone who is in a wheelchair, the means bring back to the first study to stand and play basketball with me, yeah, you know, for sure to do things that every person can do and does do, but they, for whatever reason, so cannot. fulfill their dreams. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And another thing is like one of the diseases that they're trying to work on, which is like hearing, you know, when somebody's born with that disease, a lot of the times we just see them having to live the rest of their life with it mm-hmm. so if this can really change something that a person would otherwise would have to be you know dealing with their entire life it's really a big step in terms of just helping society help as a whole i agree yep absolutely agree. Oh. Really, really excited really <sighs> yeah excited let's see let's see what happens with it yeah uh you want me to move on to the next study sure okay so this comes from mit and the engineers that have developed a model That predicts how certain properties of shoes affect the runner's performance the model incorporates factors such as a person's height weight and other dimensions along with shoe properties like stiffness and springiness by simulating a person's running out in different shoes the researchers can identify the shoe that minimizes the runner's expended energy defining it as the best performing shoe the model currently more effective for comparing distinct shoe types is envisioned as a tool for shoe designers looking to push the boundaries of design the team aims to refine the model for potential use by consumers in selecting shoes that match their running style. And the study was reported in the Journal of Biomechanical Engineering. I feel like this has already been done. Yeah. You see, you see even like regulation in like Olympics or the sports
1: where you can't have a certain type of shoe just because it gives you that type of advantage. But it's very cool to see the research behind it and how they're going to compile this together. Yeah. What what are,
0: what are your thoughts? Uh, I feel like this could help in things like specific things Uh, obviously i feel like you know i worked at nike so i remember the first speech they gave me was when the company started they made these shoes and the people athletes were running so good in the shoes they banned them and i'm like okay exactly so uh, everything revolutionary obviously starts off with a little bit of you know backlash yeah yeah for sure but i feel like where this could be useful in terms of Medical things would be like rehab Mm. injury prevention, you know Because a lot of the shoes we get even the ones both of us are wearing right now. It's just You get put in a size size 9 size 10. Yeah, it's the same thing for everybody, right? You might have the size different But basically you're wearing the same shoe that probably a bunch of other people are wearing same size same dimensions It's not really fitted for you. Yes, you know, it's not customized. So somebody's going through a process of rehab or they've been in an injury like athletes, for example, it could really be useful so they don't like maybe injure that again. Maybe it helps them more with their with their performance. yeah, yeah yeah I, I feel like going back to rehab because
1: you see in everyday life at least someone who has the same shoe size as I do they basically bought it from the same merchant, right? Yeah, it's the same shoe. but seeing how different shoes, the soles essentially could be customized different people like yeah. everyone is different right you have wider feet to be quite honest and mm-hmm. I have an experience where I'm forced to get bigger shoes just to fit the width, width of my feet even if the length isn't so much and I feel like that's something that industrially of course is very expensive to do custom shoes but mm-hmm. in a way to
0: make that cheaper and to maybe 3d printing yeah yeah absolutely i have uh, I have a cousin who he can't wear nike shoes yeah. because there's like this curve right here and he can't wear those shoes because his foot isn't curved like you, audience yeah so shoes. you see this little curve i see he I see. can't wear those because his yeah. foot is not curved so he he has to go to adidas he has to go to wherever they don't have this style of shoe. i see and because i feel like a lot of shoe companies they have like, a template. They start off with the same template, but they just build different shoes off the top of it. So, if you really make shoes for people specifically, maybe maybe you'll expand your range to a broader audience, right? So I think so, so too. I think so, too. Yep. Uh, moving on to the next study. So, this study uses a canine model, and it provided insights into evaluating the success of cell replacements for restoring cone vision in retinal diseases affecting both humans and dogs. So these researchers, they used Functional Magnetic uh, Resonance Imaging, fMRI, to assess brain responses to light-stimulating only cone cells in dogs with different retinal diseases and those with normal vision. And the study found that fMRI can detect brain responses to daylight vision for both black and white and color information, allowing measurement of the relative loss of daylight vision. The researchers demonstrated that gene augmentation therapy Restored responses in the cortex to black and white stimulation in animals with a retinal disease caused by the NPHP5 gene mutation. This study enhanced understanding of retinal diseases and highlighted the potential of using canine models to study and develop treatments that can benefit both humans and dogs. Mm. Um, I think I'll start off with this. So one thing, uh, you know, they use dogs. First off, one thing I really quickly want to point out like 99% of our uh, first studies before human trials come out. Rats, you know, come out like shorter animals that have a similar heart rate, similar, you know, rats are like the most used uh, model tester. So I feel like the fact that they're using dogs, um, it's just it's just something different. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason is obviously the eye colors, the cones. And uh, I think that eyes... Aside from our brain, are one of our most important organs because they're they're the most important thing things. In brain. fact, they're part of the brain.
1: If you look at the physiology of yeah. how it
0: connects, everything is connected to the brain. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just a huge step because uh, a lot of people, you know, wear glasses. I wear glasses. You wear glasses. Yeah. A lot of people have really bad prescriptions. A lot of people just they have problems um, in terms of their vision. And I feel like this is obviously a great step towards that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's even more
1: than just a cosmetic purpose, really. Mm-hmm. We see people who do laser, sur- laser eye surgery for the sake of, you know, everyone has a different intention. I want to stop wearing glasses. I don't look so good. Yeah, I'm lucky. I I feel like my glasses will suit me. But some people may say really have trouble with finding glasses. You know, especially if you're an athlete. Just to bring it back to that realm, I know. Wearing contact lens, people lose their contact lens in the middle of a game, and as a result, you're at a disadvantage, right? Yeah. Or even just going back towards wearing your eyeglasses when you wake up in the morning, and now you can't find them. You know, I'm very, I'm very lucky to, again to not have a terrible prescription. But my yeah. brother, he's he's almost blind, dude. Damn. Without his <laughs> glasses. So, I th- same I th- with my sister, bro. I know how it is, bro. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Thick lens, all that, very, right? Very thick lens, you yeah, oh. have the whole VR headset going on, you know? <laughs> 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 but I, I feel like, again, it's not just a cosmetic purpose. We, yeah. We've seen laser, su- laser eye surgery, but this is a different ways, maybe more affordable ways to yeah.
0: achieve the same result, perhaps with less adverse effect. Uh-huh. And uh, two things. When you said about how it's connected to the brain, I mean, uh, it just shows, like, in this study, they use MRI, fMRI. So it's like, uh, what is the capability of the brain? We don't fully know in terms of, like, this. A lot of times when when, when uh, you go to uh, optometrist and they're, like, and you say, oh, I have this problem in my eye, usually the first step is to look at specifically the eye, just mm-hmm. the eye only. Maybe it, it's going to tell us how much of the effects of the rest of our body really relate to our brain rather than the body itself. Um, and one thing I want to relate that to is uh, phantom limbs, for example. That's like when uh, somebody has lost their limb or a part of their body, but their brain overtakes that part yes. and you think that you have that part until you, you basically have some sort of amnesia. And that's one thing I really wanted to point out. And the other thing, uh, just like you said, for, for people with really bad uh, prescriptions, I feel like it's really gonna help everybody out, and uh, this is actually the second study we've read so far that involves gene therapy. Mm-hmm. So it's just I think it's just going on to show that um, gene therapy is being used more and more, not just in trials, but I feel like it'll start appearing in actual medical work now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very, very interesting to contemplate
1: how many years off are we to see gene therapy and become a reality, become everyday usage. Yeah. Really, you know, we, we go to my. Go to my, ph- my physiologist to work on my muscles. When can I go to my gene therapist to, yeah. work, to work on my athletic ability yeah. know, or maybe other things? It's, yeah, it's, it's very cool. It almost brings up like a science fiction into it, really. I agree. And then I just want to touch base on what you mentioned earlier about the brain and how different brain regions will, you know, activate at different patterns in different manners. Yeah. And... I think there's lots that we don't know but i still think there's lots that we could learn simply by correlating the brain's activation with how the eye is working or again even like the prosthetic arm how that's working yeah. what i'm curious to see is which i'm sure as people researchers very qualified more qualified than i for sure. look- for us yeah exactly we're looking at how the brain reacts when you're looking at different things. You know, when I'm looking at somebody, for example, you, I'm having eye contact with you, the brain releases oxytocin, Yeah. which is just a positive reinforcer, it's a hormone, mm-hmm. I believe it, please correct me, it could be a chemical, that just encourages me to, you know, keep looking at you in the eyes, hold that eye contact, release the oxytocin. Yeah. For those who aren't familiar with oxytocin, it's it's a hormone that, for example, I'll be easier to explain that mothers may have when they look at their children playing with their their siblings. Yeah. And, you know, playing with perhaps your spouse. So it's it's a it's a good feeling. It's a positive positive feeling. So yeah. I'm very interested to see how the brain is activating when I'm looking at your eyes versus when
0: I'm looking at the wall. Yeah. How I, do I, I, like the brain is far more advanced than we it's it's definitely the human brain is the pinnacle of just anything technology tries to recreate. I would say so too. And it's very
1: it's very interesting to tie back with the other study about AI and machine learning. Yeah. Is can we have a way that AI not only rivals a human intelligence, human cognitive ability, but surpasses it.
0: I think intelligence it can surpass in terms of just raw knowledge because it has access to so much on the web. But I feel like it just the idea of what makes a human human, the yes. cognitive part that you were mentioning, and just emotion, behavior, emotion, exactly those things are probably the hardest hump that AI has to overcome. I feel like, if even possible, yeah. to overcome. We'll see. I would say so. The Neuralink,
1: they just started. Yeah, up. the brain chip. Yeah, we they just, just started ready. clinical
0: testing yesterday. The first human. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how that goes. Honestly. I'd love to bring that out for the next podcast. Yeah, we'll see. Bring we'll see that. how the trials go. But I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. In a few years, maybe we'll both have one. Yeah. Who knows? We really don't. Yeah. We really, do, really don't right now. We don't. <laughs> uh, and uh, let's move on to what I think will be our last study. Yeah, looks like it will be our yeah. last study. So a Danish study that utilized CRISPR technology, bringing us back to gene therapy again. And it's shown promise in revolutionizing the understanding and diagnosis of genetic diseases. Uh, this was published in the American Journal of Human Genetics. And this study employed CRISPR activation to turn on genes that are typically inactive and easily accessible to cells, like skin or blood. The advancement is crucial, as 19% of disease-associated genes are inactive in readily accessible tissues. The researchers successfully activated the MPZ gene, typically active only in the insulating layer of nerve pathways and scale cells, And this technique holds the potential to provide faster and more efficient diagnosis of rare genetic diseases by enabling the analysis of gene activity in accessible cells, which offers new opportunities for understanding and treating genetic conditions. Justin,
1: I really like how we're really focused on genetic conditions for this podcast. Yeah.
0: Lots of exploration on that. I I do want to hear how you feel about this. Uh, I feel like this is probably one of the strongest articles I've read in terms of how it relates to me, uh, how it relates to it being interesting to me, because uh, most of our genes are just inactive. They're just all introns, right? So whenever we focus on something happening versus something not happening, you know, changes in your body, changes in your physiology, or, or diseases, we tend to focus more on what's active. But we, we forget about what's inactive. Same thing, you know, when, when we go through the transcription process, the rna we just get the active things so what's going on behind the scenes we really don't have a single clue yeah because what are we supposed to focus on even though the underlying cause may be those introns and a lot of things that we don't know the answer to this could be a step towards that i agree i agree even
1: talking about what's active and what's not active what mutation truly is is just the wrong thing is active at the wrong time yeah you know and of course that means like a negative mutation we see people have gigantism uh-huh. And then make great use of it. For example, seven foot seven basketball players. But what I want really want to get at is how we can. How can manipulate mutations that, aren't, aren't beneficial to human, individuals, and how can we, turn on the right one, yeah. if if it's just
0: like a flip of a switch and a snap have. is much easier than. And uh, using the shoe thing as a metaphor, it's just it becomes more personalized. Everybody has completely different. DNA, completely different genes. So when you look at the introns of somebody who maybe has a disease that you're looking for, maybe you'll start recognizing patterns like, oh, this intron, something we've never looked at before. There's this sequence of uh, amino acids, this sequence. And I feel like the more personalized it gets and the more more focused we get on things that we've never really focused on, we just tend to look over, even in my syllabus for all my biology classes, we go over the introns for one page, we're done. We're on to just extrons and how genes, proteins, all that. So I feel like we should really focus on introns more. We don't know. Honestly, no matter how much studying we do, we'll never understand the full capabilities of the human body. Right?
1: Well, it sounds like there's only one page of study off of because we only have that much information. Yeah. Again, it's very unknown, uncharted territories that we are researching and putting funding towards, which... It's a massive step to take it, yeah. and it's an even bigger step to understand how we can use it, you know, the utility of that cause, which is, yeah. again, the introns and in what it can do for us.
0: And, uh, I mean, how CRISPR works is, like, it just you can choose which gene you want. You can cut yes. it out, paste it back in. It could also be used in ways to, you know, we were talking about genes every for so long. It could just be used to cut the part that's causing problems. Maybe instead of putting a regular thing, you put in something that makes you really better, makes you stand out, makes you, for example, in athletics. Maybe uh, if you have an issue, let's say it's a leg problem, a genetically uh, leg leg problem, use CRISPR in the future. Maybe we'll reach a time where you can use CRISPR to take that problem out, yeah. and instead give you the highest vertical in the entire league. Yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens with that.
1: Honestly, it sounds like it could be even a thing where. It's not so much of who has the best genetics, but who can get the best genetics. Yeah. And, you know, and at that point, it really is just a war of, well, again, bringing the athletes in, my team getting access to these doctors and these researchers mm-hmm. who can best help sure. them. And, of course, as time progresses, I'm sure we'll have regulation. Yeah. is that perhaps even different leagues yep. seeing quote-unquote superhumans
0: versus I don't, just humans. Yeah. So very um, interesting. I feel like, um, in my opinion... I feel like the, before this starts getting regulated and if it reaches that point of a race, it'll just be uh, like, who has the most money? Who's able to spend this much money to maybe, uh, you want the perfect kid. How are you, are you able to spend that much money to get the genes you want in your kid to be exactly how you want him to be? I was like, how you want her to be? So it's just, um, what, what are the possibilities of this, right? Yeah, you for sure. It?
1: yeah I, I feel like it's
0: again like even a cosmetic thing yeah you know imagine you know uh having models yeah just have access to whatever they want exactly it's not so much
1: of who's what model is doing it better but rather what yeah. model it has the best
0: the best genetic position. modifications exactly exactly w- imagine it being used in the military yeah you, know, you want super uh what's it called Super combatants. Captain America. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It could be literally revolutionary. Mm -hmm. So so pathways are endless for that. Uh, I think we'll wrap up right there. First podcast of the Biology Brothers. That was good. Uh, We'll be back next week, I believe, with some cooler studies. Maybe bouncing back on the Neuralink thing. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. And... uh, who knows, maybe we'll start getting some guests in, maybe start getting some, some news out about us. Looking forward to it. Yep. All right. See you guys in a week.